Section 9 of The Romance of a Mummy and Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Romance of a Mummy and Egypt by Theophile Gaucher. Translated by F. C. de Summercrost. Section 9. Chapter 5 on the left bank of the nile stood the villa of poeri the young man who had filled tahoser with such emotion when proceeding to view the triumphal return of the pharaoh she had paused in her ox-drawn car under the balcony whereon leaned carelessly the handsome dreamer it was a vast estate having something of the farm and something of the house of pleasance which stretched between the banks of the river and the foothills of the libyan chain over an immense extent of ground covered during the inundation by the reddish waters laden with fertilizing mud and which during the rest of the year was irrigated by skillfully planned canals a wall built of limestone drawn from the neighboring mountains enclosed the garden the storehouses the cellars and the dwelling the walls sloped slightly inwards and were surmounted by an acroteur with metal spikes capable of stopping whosoever might attempt to climb over three doors the leaves of which were hung on massive pillars each adorned with a giant lotus flower planted on top of the capital were cut in the wall on three of the sides in place of the fourth door rose a building which looked out into the garden from one of its facades and on the road from the other the building in no respect resembled the houses in thebes the architect had not sought to reproduce either the heavy foundations the great monumental lines or the rich materials of city buildings but had striven to attain elegant lightness refreshing simplicity and pastoral gracefulness in harmony with the verdure and the peacefulness of the country the lower courses of the building which the nile reached in times of high flood were of sandstone and the rest of the building of sycamore wood tall fluted columns extremely slender and resembling the staffs of the standards before the king's palace sprang from the ground and rose unbroken to the palm-leaved cornice where swelled out under a simple cube their lotus-flower capitals the single story built above the ground floor did not rise as high as the mouldings which bordered the terraced roof and thus left an empty space between the ceiling and the flat roof of the villa short small pillars with flowery capitals divided into groups of four by the tall columns formed an open gallery around the aerial apartment open to every wind windows broader at the base than at the top of the opening in accordance with the egyptian style and closed with double sashes lighted the first story the ground floor was lighted by narrower windows placed closer to each other above the door which was adorned with deep mouldings was a cross planted in a heart and framed in a parallelogram cut in the lower part to allow the sign of favorable omen to pass the meaning being as every one knows a good house the whole building was painted in soft pleasant colors the lotus of the capitals showed alternately red and blue in the green capsules the gilded palm leaves of the cornices stood out upon a black background the white walls of the facades set off the painted framework of the windows and lines of red and green outlined panels and imitated the joints of the stone outside the enclosing wall which was built flush with the dwelling stood a row of trees cut to a point 
which formed a screen against the dusty southern wind always laden with the desert heat in front of the building grew a vast vineyard stone shafts with lotus capitals placed at symmetrical distances outlined through the vineyard walls cutting each other at right angles boughs of vine leaves joined one plant to another and formed a succession of leafy arches under which one could walk erect the ground carefully raked and heaped up at the foot of each plant contrasted by its brown color with the bright green of the leaves amid which played the sunbeams and the breeze on either side of the building two oblong pools bore upon their transparent surface aquatic birds and flowers at the corners of these pools four great palm trees spread out fanwise their green wreath of leaves at the top of their scaly trunks compartments regularly traced by narrow paths divided the garden around the vineyard marking the place of each different crop along a sort of belt walk which ran entirely around the enclosure dome palms alternated with sycamores squares of ground were planted with fig peach almond olive pomegranate and other fruit trees others again were planted with ornamental trees only the tamarisk the cassia the acacia the myrtle the mimosa and some still rarer gum trees found beyond the cataracts of the nile under the tropic of cancer in the oases of the libyan desert and upon the shores of the erythrean gulf for the egyptians were very fond of cultivating shrubs and flowers and they exact new species as a tribute from the peoples they have conquered flowers of all kinds and many varieties of watermelons lupines and onions adorned the beds two other pools of greater size fed by the covered canal leading from the nile each bore a small boat to enable the master of the estate to enjoy the pleasure of fishing fishes of diverse forms and brilliant colors played in the limpid waters among the stalks and the broad leaves of the lotus banks of luxuriant vegetation surrounded these pools and were reflected in their green mirror near each pool rose a kiosk formed of slender columns bearing a light roof and surrounded by an open balcony whence one could enjoy the sight of the waters and breathe the coolness of the morning and the evening while reclining on a rustic seat of wood and reeds the garden lighted by the rising sun had a bright happy restful look the green of the trees was so brilliant the colors of the flowers so splendid air and light filled so joyously the vast enclosure with breeze and sunbeams the contrast of the green richness with the bare whiteness of the chalky sterility of the libyan chain the crest of which was seen above the walls cutting into the blue sky was so marked that one felt the wish to stop and set up one's tent there it looked like a nest purposely built for a longed-for happiness along the walks travelled servants bearing on their shoulders a yoke of bent wood from the ends of which hung by ropes two clay jars filled at the reservoirs the contents of which they poured into small basins dug at the foot of each plant others handling a jar suspended from a pole working on a post filled with water a wooden gutter which carried it to the parts of the garden that needed irrigating gardeners were clipping the trees to a point or into an elliptical shape with the help of a hoe formed of two pieces of hard wood bound by a cord and thus making a hook other workmen were preparing the ground for planting it was a delightful sight to see these men with their black woolly hair their bodies the color of brick dressed only in a pair of white drawers going and coming amid the greenery with orderly activity 
singing a rustic song to which their steps kept time the birds perched on the trees seemed to know them and scarcely to fly off when as they passed they rubbed against the branches the door of the building opened and poeri appeared on the threshold though he was dressed in the egyptian fashion his features were not in accordance with the national type and it took no long observation to see that he did not belong to the native race of the valley of the nile he was assuredly not a rotino his thin aquiline nose his flat cheeks his serious-looking closed lips the perfect oval of his face were essentially different from the african nose the projecting cheekbones the thick lips and broad face characteristic of the egyptians nor was his complexion the same the copper tint was replaced by an olive pallor which the rich pure blood flushed slightly his eyes instead of showing black between their lines of antimony were of a dark blue like the sky of night his hair silkier and softer curled in less crisp undulations and his shoulders did not exhibit that rigid transversal line which is the characteristic sign of the race as represented on the statues of the temples and the frescoes of the tombs all these characteristics went to form a remarkable beauty which petamunov's daughter had been unable to resist since the day when poeri had by chance appeared to her leaning upon the gallery of the building which was his favorite place when he was not busy with the farm work she had returned many times under pretext of driving and had made her chariot pass under the balcony of the villa but although she had put on her handsomest tunics fastened around her neck her richest necklaces and encircled her wrists with her most wondrously chaste bracelets wreathed her hair with the freshest lotus flowers drawn to the temples the black lines of her eyes and brightened her cheeks with rouge poeri had never seemed to pay the smallest attention to her and yet tahoser was rarely beautiful and the love which the pensive tenant of the villa disdained the pharaoh would willingly have purchased at great price in exchange for the priest's daughter he would have given twia taia amense hantretche his asiatic captives his vases of gold and silver his necklaces of gems his war chariots his invincible army his sceptre all in a word even his tomb on which since the beginning of his reign had been working in the darkness thousands upon thousands of workmen love is not the same in the hot regions swept by a fiery wind as on the icy shores where calm descends from heaven with the cold it is not blood but fire that flows in the veins so tahoser languished and fainted though she breathed perfumes surrounded herself with flowers and drank draughts that bring forgetfulness music wearied her or overexcited her feelings she had ceased to take any pleasure in the dances of her companions at night sleep fled from her eyelids and breathless stifling her breast heaving with sighs she would leave her sumptuous couch and stretch herself out upon the broad slabs of the pavement pressing her bosom against the hard granite as if she wished to breathe in its coolness on the night which followed the triumphal entry of the pharaoh tahoser felt so unhappy and life seemed so empty that she determined not to die without having made at least one last effort she wrapped herself up in a piece of common stuff kept on but a single bracelet of odoriferous wood twisted a piece of striped gauze around her head and with the first light of the dawn without being heard by nofre who was dreaming of the handsome amosis she left her room crossed the garden drew the bolts of the water-gate 
proceeded to the quay waked a waterman asleep in his papyrus boat and had herself transported to the other bank of the stream staggering and pressing her little hand to her heart to still its beating she drew near poeri's dwelling it was now broad daylight and the gates were opening to give passage to the ox teams going to work and to the flocks going forth to pasture tahoser knelt on the threshold and placed her hand above her head with a supplicating gesture more beautiful perhaps even in this humble attitude and in her mean dress her bosom rose and fell and tears streamed down her pale cheeks poeri saw her and took her for what she was indeed a most unhappy woman enter said he enter without fear this house is hospitable End of chapter 5 recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City Utah